Good. And let's turn to the book of Revelation again, as we will be wont to do for the next many months, I believe, in our Bible studies on Thursday nights. And there is no way that we'll cover everything that the book of Revelation has to offer, but we're going to try to uh, get in as much as we can. Let's just start in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before the throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now that word, that last word, excuse me, amen, is a word that you're going to see many times in the book of Revelation. And we, two weeks ago, we got through the first three verses. The revelation does belong to Jesus Christ. It is about him. It is his revelation. God the Father gave it to him. He signified it to John by his angel. The destination is the local church. That is where this message is to be going and John introduces himself in verse 2. He is the one that bear record of God, of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. And of course, his main reference is to, in verse 2, of the book that we call the Gospel of John, at which is the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. Then we get the blessing. There's a blessing promised to those that read this book, but it's not enough just to read God's word. You must hear the words that you read, meaning there must be an understanding. There must be a comprehension of what you read and an obedience to those things. Now, someone may be thinking in their mind, how am I supposed to be obedient to the mountain of fire which falls upon one-third of the fresh water and destroys it? Uh, the simple truth is, if you'll study this book and be obedient to the things that you can be obedient to, it will take the rest of your life and every bit of your effort. And, and so uh, don't get caught up in all the... Uh, crazy things that people have gotten. And by the way, the world's supposed to end Saturday. Are you ready? I'll see you in church on Sunday. Uh, I am not worried. Uh, I'm still waiting for 1994. 
1988. I figure with that kind of time lapse, we ought to get through the book of Revelation two or three more times before Mr. Camping's predictions come true. Amen? Uh, not too worried about that. Uh, but let's, uh, let's understand, Jesus could come back. But he will come back in his time, not Mr. Camping's. That's why I'm not too worried about any of those things. And you shouldn't be worried about the rapture or the return of Jesus. That is the time of great joy for the Christian because we will ever be with the Lord. Amen? And, uh, but we're going to pick up in verse 4, uh, and it's interesting as I consult and try to do a little bit of study for this. Uh, I, I like to read some other books uh, just to make sure, and I just get so disgusted when I read the commentaries that I'm glad God gave me the Bible. Amen? Uh, it said, it, one of the comments, I'll just share this with you, it said, in verse 4, it just says John. John doesn't introduce himself in any way. Well, wait a minute, what was verse 2 all about? Uh, verse 2, John already introduced himself. Once you introduce yourself, do you do it again? Do you repeat yourself? No. And so John has already introduced himself. He's not going to be repetitive. He's already told us he's the one who has bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is his servant. I mean, what does he want? A copy of John's birth certificate? Uh, I wish we could get one from our president, amen? Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is, John has already introduced himself. He is the human author. But the authority of this book is not in John. It's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John is not recording as he did in the Gospel of John... He is not speaking for Christ. He is listening as Christ speaks and giving his message. He is simply transmitting what the Holy Spirit of God wants you and I to have today. Now, this message and this illustration is applicable to the entire Word of God. If you know the verse, for all Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. God inspired this Word. It means simply that God breathed into the personality and the person of John the very words that he wants you and I to have today. And John is simply saying, I'm John, I'm the one God chose this is a message. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to me. God gave it to Jesus. Jesus is signifying it to me, making it plain, certifying the message. I am just the repeater. Now, the message is to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, when we think of Asia... We think of China, we think of Mongolia, we, we think of uh, the Pacific Rim maybe, uh, as we think of Thailand and Burma and all of that. Well, the, 
The word Asia in the Bible times in the first century A.D. referred to the country that we now call Turkey. In fact, if you see an old map, it'll still be called Asia Minor. And uh, Turkey is really the gateway to uh, Asia proper. There's a, a dividing line there between east and west and uh, uh, that is historically recognized, but these seven churches were literal, real, local, living assemblies. They were individual churches. And this number seven, uh, and if you've been around here very long, you'll know that I am not a great believer, nor do I spend a lot of time in the science of, well, I shouldn't even call it a science, in the foolishness of numerology, uh, uh, there, are, there is a significance to numbers in the Bible. But it's like I was speaking to a man several years ago and we were talking about dispensationalism. He said, that's the difference between you and me. He says, you use dispensationalism to study your Bible. I use it to build doctrine. And I said, yeah, that's a big difference. Because I don't believe you ought to build doctrine on the thoughts of men. You have to build doctrine on what's printed in the Bible, not your interpretation of what's printed in the Bible. And, you can tell Peter's back, and the same thing is with the significance of numbers in the Scripture. There is a significance there, but we don't build doctrine on it. They merely reinforce doctrine that we already have. And the number seven, uh, I counted it up in, your, in our Bible, in your King James Bible, 31 times in the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. That's an awful lot of time for the number seven to be used. And it's used, and we'll see this again when we're talking about the seven churches. We have the seven candlesticks, which are the equivalent of the seven churches. Each one of those churches has a star or, or an angel. We'll have the seven trumpets. We'll have the seven vials. We'll have the seven seals. Uh, we'll have the seven spirits of God. Now, how many of you like that one? What in the world is he talking about? I thought there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But one of the ways that we can know we're understanding something is if our understanding of this one word fits in other places where it's used. Now, see, one of the great tools that is used by men like Mr. Camping, to arrive at his strange and spurious conclusions, is they use an inconsistent hermeneutic or an inconsistent understanding of the Word of God, meaning that a word can mean one thing over here, and that same word in the same context can mean something totally different over here. It takes your Bible and cuts it up into little disconnected pieces. Now, the Apostle Paul has already told us that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. That all Scripture is profitable for reproof, to express blame to our face. It's, it's instruction in righteousness. 
I mean, correction. It's what we ought to be doing. It's what we're doing wrong. It is how to fix what we're doing wrong, and it's how to keep from repeating it again. Amen? Now, that's what that verse in means, and this is part of Scripture. When we see the seven here, it indicates a complete fullness. It indicates the idea that it is all that is to be involved. How many days in a week? Seven days. Do you think that's coincidental? No, that's how many days there are in a week. That's the way God designed his calendar. And we follow those things. I'm not quite sure that anybody has developed a calendar that doesn't have seven days. They may have for a short period of time, but uh, it's, it's not something that was ever really used that we know of other than in very small groups. Now, the application here. There's been an awful lot made of these seven churches. Um, If you have a a Schofield Study Bible, and I'm not against a Schofield Study Bible necessarily, uh, what I really recommend is get a Bible without notes. Because here's what happens. When you get a Bible with all those explanatory notes in them, uh, you read the notes instead of reading the Scripture. Now, what you want to do is read the Scripture. And if you need to get somebody's notes, you can do that in a myriad of ways. But uh, I will tell you this. Most of the time when I read somebody else's notes, uh, Mr. Schofield or Thompson's Chain or or, uh, the Ryrie Study Bible or any of these things, it just, that's not right. I wonder why they can't just Keep it simple. And they got to get things all complex. And they try to make these seven churches seven different ages of the church. Now, we'll probably spend a little more time on that. Now, here's one of the reasons why I don't believe that. Is because if I get seven different commentators who believe that the church, the churches here represent the history of the church, every one of them has a different timetable attached to the different churches. If it were truly biblical, it would be something that would be simple enough that we would get a consistency in our understanding, not a complete uh, explosion of ideas. And uh, by the way, one of my biggest arguments with this is they say the church at Philadelphia was the church in revival. And yet Jesus said... Thou hast a little strength. The church in revival does not have a little strength. And my probably my greatest complaint is I've heard preachers, well, we're in the Laodicean church age. We're in the lukewarm church age. There's nothing we can do but be lukewarm. Can you ever find a place in your Bible where God gives you an excuse to be disobedient to his word? It's just not there. And so, therefore, we're going to stick with the simplest and the most literal understanding. These are seven churches that literally existed. But I believe as we go through and read the letters to those churches, you know what we're going to find out? 
we're going to find out that our church is going to fit into one of those categories. We're actually going to find out that different churches can change categories as they go on. We're going to find out that there are all seven of those church types available and living today and every one of the churches of Jesus Christ needs to pay attention to the letters that Jesus sent to his seven churches in the first century A.D., about 100 A.D., when this book called The Revelation was written. And so the target, the recipient, are the seven churches. We're not going to force any given church into a final type because the Bible says, hey, at the end of every one, it's here. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. There are warnings for you and I to pay very, very strict attention to. And this is exactly what the book is talking about here in verse 3 when it says there's a blessing to reading, hearing, and keeping the things that are contained in this book. So we have John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Then we have the typical, traditional New Testament greeting, grace be unto you and peace. Now before we get too much farther, I just want to ask you a question. If you have grace and peace, do you really need anything else? No. This is the message of the New Testament. From Matthew to Revelation is grace and peace. Paul used it at the beginning of every book that is signed by him, that is titled by him. Uh, some believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, if he did, then that would be the only exception to that rule. I don't know. And if you remember in our book of Hebrews study that we did several years ago, we kept referring to the author of Hebrews as the author of the book of Hebrews because we did not know and the Bible does not tell us we will not be definitive on things that the Bible does not definitively state. Amen? And Peter used it in both of his epistles. John used it in Second John and then again in the book of Revelation. This is the theme of the New Testament. God's grace brings God's peace. And if you have God's peace, let me tell you something. You don't have to worry about anything else, amen? It is the unmerited favor of God. By the way, how were your sins forgiven? Through God's grace, amen? How are you supposed to live? Uh, by God's grace, amen? Uh, let's take just a moment here. And let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Just want to show you the connection that is here, and we're not going to try to go through the entire first chapter here, but there is so much. And as Peter is writing this, 
He, he is introducing himself, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. He's writing to them that have obtained like precious faith. Verse 2, he is echoing the sentiments of John, or rather John is echoing his because his writing was after this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. But how is grace and peace to be multiplied unto you? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you want grace and peace, you've got to have a knowledge or an understanding. You have to have a knowing of God and Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 3. As according as his divine power hath given unto us what? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, grace and peace are going to be multiplied to you through the knowledge of him. The next verse says, that's how we're going to have all things given unto us that pertain unto life and godliness. Every part of your relationship with God is connected with these two words, with the word grace and the word peace. In fact, if you truly have grace, it will bring peace. If you don't have peace, one of the reasons you don't have peace is because you are in desperate need of grace. How many of you remember the turmoil that was in your heart before you got saved? Then you settled it. And God's peace reigned supreme, did it not? Philippians chapter 4. Let's take a moment and just go there. Well, let, I'm sorry. Since we're in 2 Peter, if you haven't left, just turn the page to 3.18, the last verse of 2 Peter, and we'll pick this up. I'm skipping over my outline tonight. Don't mean to do that. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. As Peter sums up his entire book, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There ought to be more grace in your life today than there was yesterday. If you're measuring growth, I mean, Andrew just came back and everybody, did he grow another inch? Why, well, no. It's just he hasn't been here for a while. And so uh, I don't think any of us are getting shorter yet. Uh, but, uh, and I don't think he's getting taller. It's just he hasn't been here for a while. And, and, and so, but when you check in your life, do you have more grace? Well, how do I know if I have more grace? I have more peace. Now, let's look at the word peace. Am I peaceful concerning my eternity? When we talk about the armor of God that we use, what is the, if we start at the top of the body and work our way down, the helmet of salvation. Now, why is that picture or those words used when it talks about the helmet of salvation? What does the helmet do? Well, the helmet protects your head, amen? It protects your mind. Uh, if you take a severe blow to the head, you cannot think clearly. One of the jobs of the helmet from the earliest days 
It was built in such a way as to deflect the blow of the enemy that as he would try to bring that weapon down, that it would glance off the helmet and instead of give you a direct hit and concussion and brain damage and all of those things, uh, it would not injure you as severely. The helmet of salvation is the knowledge of your salvation. What will keep you when all else fails? It is knowing that Jesus loved me enough to pay the price for my sins and save my soul. Amen? If God loved you that much, do you think he's just going to let your feet dangle over the fire for absolutely no reason? No, this is what the peace is all about. You see, I need to grow in grace so I can have more peace. And when we have an absence of peace, let's just back this thing up. It's because we need more grace. The theme of the book of Revelation is not all the horrible things that's going to happen to all those wicked people that are there. The theme of the book of of Revelation is God's grace and peace in your life as a Christian. Amen? And this is the reason the book is written. When life circumstance do not do what I want to do, when, when it goes against my thinking and what I think is good, is God bigger than my circumstance? Of course we know the answer to that. But how many of you have ever been nervous when you had to go under the surgeon's knife? That's still a scary thing. Uh, every I, I've had several surgeries, and every time I, okay, Lord, if I wake up in heaven, I'm ready. Hasn't seen fit to do that yet. Listen, if we truly had God's peace, we would live differently than we do. Amen? Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul, and this is what we're doing tonight is just giving an illustration of what, what I mean when I say the Bible is its own best commentary. The Bible explains these things. And we can follow these words. Let's look at verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is how prayer is supposed to work. We are supposed to let God carry the burden of life. If he's carrying the burden for us, what does that do? That gives me peace. Amen? Amen? It should, right? And if it doesn't, we need to get to work on that. If your prayer is not producing peace, then you better re-examine what you're doing that's called prayer. 
because this is what prayer is. It's explained, and the result of that prayer is that the peace of God that passes all understanding. I, I never will forget that as long as God allows my memory to work. Uh, John and Linda Rivera there with little Matthew, he was born almost, uh, what was that, four months premature something, three, and just weighed uh, just a little over two pounds. I mean, he was... Uh, I think it was 1.1 kilo, like 1,200 grams is what they uh, weighed him at when he was born. He was the smallest thing I'd ever seen, and more wires and uh, hoses going in and out of that little body than you could imagine. And then they started doing uh, MRIs of his head, and, and the water was building up in there, and actually expanding and compressing his brain against the sides of the skull, and you couldn't even see his brain on the scan. And the doctors were telling them all of these things, and finally, Julia and I were there trying to help interpret and help them understand, and and the doctor just looked at us and said, I don't think they understand. And I said, oh no, they understand. He says, but why aren't they more worried than they should? I said, we're, we're Christians. We believe in the God of the Bible. And I said, they're just trusting God with this little life. And that's why they're not worried. Now, this is what's being spoken of in the book of Revelation. Yea, though I walk through the valley... It's not a pleasant place to be. It's not a place we're desiring to be. But the promise is, he is with me. Amen? That's grace. And grace brings peace. This is the message of the book of Revelation. Don't get caught up in all the horrible things that are going to happen in the book of Revelation. Get caught up in the grace and peace that God has for them which believe on His name. Amen? Amen. So let's go back to Revelation here. And uh, we'll, we'll be finished on time, even though we may not finish our whole outline tonight and may go over some of it next week by God's grace. But John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. Now we're going to get the source from him, which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Now, the simplest understanding of this is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Peace comes from God, which is, we go to, back to the book of Exodus chapter 3, Moses said, what is your name? When the children of Israel who are enslaved in Egypt ask me what your name is, what should I tell him? And, the, and God said to Abraham, you tell him I am, which is their basic equivalence. It's the same thing. It is present tense. 
It is the eternal present tense. God says, I am. I am the God which is. I am the God that was. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Uh, I've asked you to pray as, as I uh, get the van serviced. We came back and had an oil change. The, the man that runs the service station up there, Howie, uh, I, every time I go in now, he asks me some question about prophecy or something. And so there's an opportunity there to give just a little witness and, and explain to him. And, and uh, he is rightly worried about Israel. He says, they're going to destroy Israel. I said, oh, no, they're not. I said, I read the Bible. They're not going to destroy Israel. The center of all Scripture is God's chosen people, the Jewish people. I said, they're going to be there. He says, I mean, it would be very troubling as you see what is going on in the world today. I'm glad I can trust God for his grace and his peace. Amen. But the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is the God of eternity future. One God. He was the God that said, let there be light. He was the God that was pleased when Jesus Christ, his son, said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Amen. He is the same God that's going to sit and judge all mankind. He is him which is, which was, and which is to come. Now we have the same use of the word seven here, the seven spirits which are before his throne. And again, simple application. We'll see this used, and, and we're not going to take the full time to chase this completely out tonight because we will be covering it again and again as we go through the book of Revelation. Three times in the book of Revelation, these seven spirits are referred to and it is just simply referring to the complete omnipresence or everywhere present God. When we talk about the seven churches, we're talking about the complete scope and sequence of the church of Jesus Christ. Not, not an historical progression, not necessarily uh, just a pigeonhole that we can put everything in, but... What God wants his churches to know are, is right there in these letters. And these seven spirits is referring to the completeness of God. Him who filleth all in all. We get this concept because we study the life of Christ. We study his ministry. We talk about him coming in the clouds to take us to heaven to be with him. The Bible says in the book of Romans that we make God like us. That is the greatest sin in all the scripture. God is not like us. And he's using this passage to, quote unquote, if we use the terminology of today, blow your mind. 
expand it just a little bit, get you to wrap yourself around this idea that God is bigger than your comprehension. You can't put him in a little box. You are not meant to understand the greatness of God. And no matter what picture or what representation you want to use, the earth is his footstool, it says. Now stop and think about that. Think of a being so big that he could prop his feet on the planet earth. I mean, try, try to use the terminology that's in the scripture to help you imagine the greatness of God. You ought to spend a little time in your prayer time doing that very thing because this is what God wants us to understand. The book is not about you, it's about God. It's not what's going to happen to all those people where the bad things are going to happen. It's what God is doing in the hearts and lives of those who accept him as their Lord and as their Savior, those who receive God's grace get God's peace. Does anything in the book of Revelation compare to a place called hell? Well, some of it might come a little close, but it's only temporary in the book of Revelation. Hell is eternal. Do you get the difference? Don't get caught up with all the horrible things that happen in the book of Revelation. Jesus told his disciples, fear not him that killeth the body. Fear him that after the body is dead can cast the soul into hell. You must accept God's grace now if you want God's peace in eternity. Amen. This is what the book of Revelation, the source of this book, is the person of God, which is, which was, and which is to come. If you put up with my poor English description, God is, is, always was, is, and always will be, is. Because God is always present tense. God is always there. The Holy Spirit is there, whether you feel him or not. He is everywhere present. And then we get into the first of several descriptions of Jesus Christ. And by the way, one of those descriptions of the throne of God... Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself. not going to do it. Uh, there, are, there are descriptions here. And this idea of the seven spirits is going to come up again. And if we'll plug this idea in of the complete fullness of the eternal omnipresence of the Holy Spirit of God, we'll find that it will fit in the different passages that it is used without contradicting what is there. And so, and, and as we look at the seven, uh, the seven uh, seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials, the different types, again, we're going to see the complete 
fullness of the wrath of Almighty God. That's what, and where we see these things, and we'll see this repeated again. We're not interpreting the Bible in light of the numbers. We're using the numbers to help us understand the picture that is there. And so uh, we'll pick up, Lord willing, uh, next Thursday night, and from Jesus Christ in verse 5. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. Lord, we thank you that you want us to have grace. You want us to have peace. Lord, if there was ever a day we needed grace and peace, it is today. And most of our understanding, the book of Revelation is not the place to find it. Lord, my prayer is as as I lead our study of this book of Revelation that we will see over and over and over again your grace and your peace that you want us to have. We ask that we would stick with the true theme of this book. And Lord, that we would receive true grace and true peace in our hearts. Lord, we would not be those that glory in the death of the unsaved in the tribulation of those that rebel against you. But Lord, we would see your goodness and your grace even in the darkest hour of men's history. Lord, we ask that you would work in each heart and life here. Lord, make us aware of our desperate need for your grace that we may have and enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. Work in us, Lord, that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just ask Joya to play a verse of a hymn. If you need to slip out of your seat,